Uh, Well, if you've got your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you over there on that table. You can go grab that, and that's our gift to you as a church. But we're going to spend our time in Genesis 11 this morning. Now, I was reading a book, and in the book came across a quote uh, from an interview that Vanity Fair did with Madonna all the way back in the 90s. And uh, I'll just be honest, I don't know a bunch about Vanity Fair or Madonna, to tell you the truth, uh, but this quote just kind of absolutely jumped off the page and just gripped me when I first read it. And so they're interviewing her, and they're asking her how she's able to stay so driven uh, and so committed to her career and how she's able to continue to reinvent herself. And she said this, she said, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting, and I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's always pushing me and pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Uh, Now, Madonna doesn't have to be your cup of tea. She's definitely not mine, but uh, she doesn't really have to be your cup of tea for, for what she says there to resonate with all of us, because what she's hitting on is the fact that all of us, uh, deep down, want to prove to ourselves and to others that we really are somebody right, that we really do matter, that our life really does have meaning and purpose, that it really does have a point. I mean, do we not? Why do do you think we work so hard to get people to notice us and our accomplishments? Why do you think we so desperately want to be accepted and liked and approved of by other people? Why, Why do you think we so desperately want to feel secure and valued in who we are? Well, the good news is that these are exactly the sorts of questions that Genesis 11 is going to answer for us this morning. And so let's look at it together now. We're going to read the first nine verses. Let's hear what God has to say. Starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand, may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused or he belalled the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. 
So as we've walked through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we've seen God create this good world, and he creates Adam and Eve, and he places them in the garden. And in the garden, they had life, everything they could have ever wanted. They had life with God in paradise, but they chose to sin and rebel and try to find life and freedom outside of that. Uh, and when they did that, they plunged our world into darkness and brokenness and sin. Uh, and as we've moved through these early chapters of Genesis, you see humanity continuing to get worse and worse, finally to the point that it gets to the point that God said that, says that humanity is so wicked and so sinful and so violent and so turned in on themselves that he's just going to destroy everyone and start over after the flood. And so this is what he does with Noah and his family. And then we come here to the Tower of Babel. And just like we saw a few weeks ago with Noah after the flood, the flood did not fix the human heart. It did not get rid of sin in the world. We're here at the Tower of Babel and we find people are still unable to stop sinning, still unable to change, still unable to fix what is broken in themselves. And so the text begins by telling us that at this point, everyone had one language and the same words, meaning they spoke the same language, but they could understand each other incredibly well. And because they could understand each other so incredibly well and work together so well, uh, they decide to build a tower. And look again with me in verse four about what they say about this tower. This is really the verse on which the passage turns. It says, then they said... Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So they want to build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. They want to make a name for themselves so that they would not be scattered over the face of the earth. Uh, and I know at first read that that sounds pretty distant and, and different from us. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I imagine most of us are not thinking like, you know what I want to do when I grow up? You want What I want to do with my life? I want to build a big tower and I want to build a big city. Uh, but what I, I think is crucial for us to understand here is that there are some deeper longings going on in this building project. Uh, I think Matt Carter is right when he points out there are really three things that the people are wanting here. First, they're wanting a sense of home. They're wanting a place where they feel like they belong, a place that feels safe uh, and secure, and it's like a place for them. Second, they want to be fully known and yet valued and approved of. We'll, we'll talk about this more in a second, but this is why they're trying to build the tower with its top into the heavens. And, and then third, they want to have a connection to greatness, and they want to make a name for themselves. They, they want their lives to matter. They want them to count. They want to be remembered and leave a legacy. Now, I think what else is crucial for us to understand here is that at a point in time, humanity had all of these things, right? In the garden, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, had all of these things with God. Like they had a place where they belonged, a place that felt safe and secure and was created for them. They were fully known and yet fully loved and approved of by God, delighted in by the most important person in the universe. And they had a connection to greatness. They were significant. God had given them a name and an identity. He had made them in his image. They were significant because they were connected to him. But when Adam and Eve sinned and plunged our world into brokenness and darkness, we lost all of these things in the fall. And ever since then, your entire life and my entire life has been a desperate attempt to try to get these things back. Like, listen, every single decision and action you have made in your life in some way is shaped by this. Every single one of them. 
Seriously, like it's all a desperate attempt to try to get back what we had in the garden with God uh, and something that only now God can give us. In fact, this is what sin is. Sin is trying to meet the needs and longings of your heart in anything other than God, trying to find these three things that we've been looking for ever since the Tower of Babel in anything other than him. This is what sin is. And, and listen, uh, our, our culture does not help us fight against these temptations either. Uh, in fact, our society looks a whole lot like the one here at the Tower of Babel does. Because yes, it has been thousands of years, but the human heart has not changed at all. I, I mean, think about it. If we were not still obsessed with making a name for ourselves and being connected to greatness, uh, then we definitely would not have shows like The Bachelor and American Idol and The Voice, and I promise you we would not be keeping up with the Kardashians, right? Like, people are not just people in our society anymore. You can literally be your own brand. I mean, there are people whose job it is. Their job is to be an influencer. Their literal job is just to get on social media and tell people what's cool to buy and what's cool to wear and what's cool to have, uh, and people go out and buy what they recommend simply because they're popular and influential, and, and as a society, we love it. Like, we're all about it. They wouldn't be an influencer. They wouldn't have popularity and influence if we didn't. I mean, they are literally famous for being famous, right? It's just absolutely wild. Man, and so we're not so different from this society here at Babel. Uh, in fact, the, the values that our culture pushes on us, the way it tells you to live the good life and live your best life, looks exactly like the, the society here at Babel does uh, as well. Now, smarter people than me have said that our chief value as an American culture is what's called expressive individualism. And basically what they mean by that is this idea that you get to define yourself. And so you look inside of yourself at your deepest desires and however you feel, whatever those desires are, that's who you are. And, and so you see it in things like, you know, you need to go find yourself. You need to define yourself. You've got to be true to you. You've got to be good to yourself. Uh, you've got to figure out who you are and live your truth because no one else gets to define you. Uh, no one else gets to tell you who you are. You look inside of yourself, you, you see these feelings and desires, and whenever you make a name and an identity for yourself, then you sh you're supposed to express that identity. You're supposed to live out the truth of who you are and according to how you feel and how you define yourself, and don't let anybody tell you different. And this is, this is what we do. This is exactly the same thing that's going on here at Babel. We're trying to do the same identity-making project today. Look, it's, it's, I mean, think of how much of our life is shaped by this, shaped by trying to make a name and an identity for ourselves. It's why we work so hard. It's why we're so disappointed and exhausted and frustrated all the time. Because it's not just enough to have a job or to do something like that. Like, we want to be noticed. We want to be somebody. We want to stand out and be recognized and applauded. We want to make a name for ourselves and, and have people cheer on who we are. I mean, think about this. Think about how often you feel in your heart, you know, if I could just get promoted, then I know that I'd be happy. Uh, if I could just get to the point where people recognize me for this thing and approve of me and see this, then I know I would feel valuable. If I could just get my family to notice how much I do for them, I, I know I'd feel special. If I could just get to this level where people recognize me and know me for this, I know I'd be happy. I know I'd be satisfied. 
And the scary thing about this is we never stop doing it our entire lives. And so for me, uh, when I was a kid and a teenager, it was sports. It was, man, if I can just make a name for myself and carve out an identity uh, where people see me as this guy who's incredibly good at sports, then I know I'll be happy and I'll feel satisfied, uh, which was just a lo losing proposition because I was just delightfully mediocre uh, at sports. And so after that, it kind of morphed and shifted into well, if I can just date the prettiest girls, then I know that I'll feel important and people will see me as important. They'll, they'll respect me. They'll fear me. They'll love me. They'll fear how much they love me, right? And then now kind of the constant struggle I'm working through is, man, if I can just get people to see me as a great preacher, like if, if they will just know me and recognize me for that, then I, I know I'll feel like I have worth. I know I'll feel valuable. I know these inadequacies and insecurities I feel about myself just won't be there anymore if people will see me and recognize me for this. I'll feel loved. I'll feel important. I'll feel like I matter. I'll feel like I have an identity. And so this is what we're trying to do. And the promise that our culture and our hearts so often give us is if we really can do this, if we really can do enough to make a name and an identity for ourselves, we really will feel satisfied and find happiness. But listen, it's just impossible to do. And look, I think you know this. I think already over and over you have felt this in your life. C.S. Lewis puts words to this feeling so well in his book, Mere Christianity. Talking about this feeling, he says this. He says, most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want intensely something that cannot be had in this world. Now, there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I am not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or vacations or normal careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we have grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has just evaded us. Something has just escaped us. Look, there's a reason why this is true, and, and the text shows us the reason. Because this tower that they're building here, like this isn't just an identity-making project they're involved here at, in here at Babel. This is a self-salvation project. They're trying to save themselves. You see, because back in this day, like they, they wouldn't have just kind of been building an office building downtown. No, because back in this day, during this time period, the biggest building in any culture would have been the temple. Because the temple is the place where they believed they could meet with the gods. And so what they're building here is what's called a ziggurat. Uh, this temple that would have had steps going up the side towards a point at the top. And there would have been a little room on the top where they believed the gods would come down and meet with them on earth. And so what they're trying to do here when they make it with its top in the heavens is they're trying to get back to God. They're trying to get back to the garden and restore what was lost when Adam and Eve uh, plunged our world into sin. They're trying to save themselves and climb their way back up to God. 
Well, how does God feel about this attempt to save themselves? Look at what he does again in verse 5. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, we are meant to laugh at this uh, because if you remember, verse 4 said, they said that they want to build a tower with its top in the heavens. They want to make a name for themselves with how big this tower is. Uh, But it's not like God was up in heaven sitting in his living room watching TV. It's not like he does that anyways. Uh, But it's not like he was in his living room watching TV and all of a sudden the top of the tower started to poke through his living room floor. And he was like, what is going on here? I got to go put a stop to this. No, like he has to come all the way down to earth to see it. They are bragging and boasting like, look at this awesome tower we've built. This is a feat of human ingenuity. No one has ever seen anything like this. And God has to get down on his hands and knees and lean down and strain in to look. Like he is the all-seeing God of the universe. He's like, where is it? I I can't find it anywhere. It's just so small. And so for all of their attempts to build this massive tower, it's just laughably small to God. For all of their attempts to save themselves and make a name for themselves, it's so insignificant and such a non-starter that it's just laughable. And I think with this, God is intending for us to laugh at ourselves here a little bit uh, as well. Because if we can be honest with each other, uh, we all kind of think that we're a pretty big deal, right? But the reality is, is that God has to come down and break out his magnifying glass even to see our greatest accomplishments. You know, we're like, I passed my test. I made it through my course. I got promoted. And he's like, that's cute. Uh, I made the sun. And so why don't you go back and try a little bit harder this time? Now, listen, this is going to be a little bit harsh, but, but this is just the reality. Uh, for as much as we try to make a name and an identity for ourselves and leave a legacy and be remembered, the reality is that everyone is going to forget you. Everyone is going to forget me. You're going to work your entire life. You're going to retire. They'll throw a party for you. They'll replace you with someone. And then in like a year, someone will be like, what was that person's name that worked at that cubicle? And they'll be like, yeah, I don't remember. They're going to completely forget that you even worked there. Do you know your great-great-grandparents' names? No. And your great-great-grandkids aren't going to remember yours either. You're going to get your name in the paper twice, the day that you were born and the day that you die, uh, unless you do something criminal, right? Like, we are going to be completely forgotten. We're not going to make a name for ourselves. And I know you're like, hey, I'm here today. Pick on the people that went to the beach this weekend. But look, like, I think we need to sit with this reality for a little bit, because if we don't sit with this reality... We're just going to continue to try to make a name for ourselves and save ourselves apart from God. And that's foolish because trying to save ourselves by making a name for ourselves is like trying to pay off a million dollar debt with monopoly money. Like it it doesn't matter how much you have, you're just not making a dent. And and so God comes down and, and, and comes down to see the tower to expose the foolishness of them trying to do this. But that isn't all that he does. Pick back up in the text with me again at verse 6. It says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. 
So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, uh, this is pretty funny to me as well, because you've got to try to imagine what it must have been like when your entire life you've understood each other perfectly, uh, and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're talking in Greek and your friend is talking in Swahili, uh, and they talk back to you and you're like, what did you just call me? Do you want to go? And so you've got to just, nobody can understand each other. And so they've got to just completely leave off building this tower and building this city and scatter uh, into their own groups of, of people that they understand that speak the same language as them. Now, the question I think we should be asking here uh, is, is this, is this judgment or is it mercy? Like, is God judging them by coming down and confusing and scattering their languages or is this mercy? for him to do this? And I think the answer is both. Because when God says that there's nothing that they propose to do now that will be impossible for them, he's saying there's going to be no limit to their idolatry and to their sin if they stick together. If, if they stay together as one people with one language, they're never actually going to seek God. It isn't that they're going to be a threat to God. It's that they're going to be a threat to themselves. They're going to continue to try to save themselves and make a name for themselves apart from him. And, and so God comes down in judgment to confuse and scatter their languages. But just like when God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden in Genesis 3, this judgment is also a grace uh, because God is ensuring that they won't continue on forever in their sin. He's putting a limit to their sin and their idolatry. And listen, this is a grace to us as well, because God is just shouting at us through this text that we are never going to be able to save ourselves and we're never going to be able to make a name for ourselves. Like we cannot do enough, we cannot build high enough, we cannot work our way, work hard enough to make our way back to God. On top of that, you're always gonna be restless and insecure anytime you try to build an identity and make a name for yourself. Uh, Tim Keller talks about the difference between an identity that's achieved and an identity that's received. And what he says is that anytime you try to achieve an identity through what you can do, what you can accomplish, you're always going to be restless and insecure because an identity based on what you can achieve and do is so incredibly fragile. Like it's constantly shifting and changing. You've constantly got to manage it and you could lose it in an instant. I mean, think about it. If you build your identity on what people think about you and how they, if they, whether or not they approve of you, well, their opinions of you could change in a second. Like if you build your identity on how much success you're having, that well could dry up in an instant too. Because look, you can lose a job. You can lose a relationship. And the reality is that there's always going to be someone who's smarter than you. There's always going to be someone who's prettier than you. There's always going to be someone who's more gifted and talented than you, that's richer than you, that's better off than you, that's a better spouse and parent than you are, that's just better than you. And when you get confronted with that, if you tried to build your identity on that, that thing that you thought made you so unique and special just isn't there anymore. And that identity you've built for yourself just comes crumbling to the ground and you don't even know who you are anymore. It just shattered to pieces. I think you could see this really, really clearly uh, a few years back when Ronda Rousey was still undefeated uh, in UFC fighting. So this is a little bit of a throwback. Uh, but if you remember, 
man, she was just so incredibly dominant. Like, I, I remember analysts talking about at one point, like, maybe we should move her over to the men's division to give her some competition because she was just so completely on top. I mean, she just dominated everybody. But then if you remember, she fought Holly Holm, and Holly Holm beat her badly. Like, so badly, she had to be rushed to the hospital, and she really just kind of went into a tailspin after that. And, and so after this, down the road a little bit, they were interviewing her about this. And listen to what she says in this interview. She says, honestly, my thought in the medical room, I was sitting in the corner and was like, what am I anymore if I'm not this? Literally sitting there thinking about killing myself. In that exact second, I'm like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? And so when I, I first read that, I was incredibly sad for her because most people won't put it that bluntly, but she's just asking and who am I anymore if I'm not the UFC champ? Like, who am I if I'm not what I can do? What do I have left? What do I have to live for? And this is going to be the reality anytime we try to make a name and an identity for ourselves. Because the reality is that no matter, you can just lose it in an instant. And no matter how hard you work, no matter how much success you have, no matter how perfectly you portray yourself to others, the reality is that you are never going to be able to name yourself and you're never going to be able to save yourself. Any attempt to do so is just you and I trying to build a tower up to heaven, but it just isn't going to work. We can't make our way back to God. We cannot get ourselves back to the garden. We can't make our way back to heaven. We just had 11 chapters showing us that. And so our only hope is if one day that, that God might bring heaven down to us. Our only hope is if one day God might come down again, this time not in judgment, but in grace to reach all the way down and save us. And look right at me. The good news of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, he has. He has. Jesus Christ has come down. God has come down from heaven in Jesus Christ, and he has lived the perfect human life that none of us had lived. He was always obedient to God. And then after he lived that perfect human life, he went to the cross and he died the death for all of our sin, for all of our rebellion, for all of our attempts to make a name for ourselves and save ourselves. He died for all of it and for all of us. And then he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave and he defeated death, sin, and the grave forever so that he could give life and salvation to us. You see, Jesus did not come just to walk alongside us and give us advice as we climb the steps back up to God. He did not come to point us to the steps on how to make our way back to God. He took the steps for us. God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. God has pursued us. God has saved us. God has brought heaven down to us. And what makes this even better news is that it means that in Jesus, the search for an identity is now over. Because now in Jesus, God has come down and he has given you a name, his name, and an identity that's received instead of one that's achieved. Which is just incredible news because if you received it as a gift of God's free grace and there was nothing that you did to earn it, then that means that there's nothing you could ever do to unearn it. You can never lose it because you weren't the one that got it in the first place. Jesus was. And how could you be more secure than that? How could you be more significant than that? The creator of the universe took on humanity and came to die so that you might be brought back to him. 
Through Jesus, the Father has made you his child that he dearly, dearly loves. You have been given a new name. Look, you are not what you do. You are not how you feel. You are not your desires. You are not your amount of success or lack thereof. You are not what you make of yourself. You are who God says you are. You are in Jesus. You are united to Jesus, which means that all that is true of him is now true of you. God now looks at you as if you had lived the life that Jesus lived and died the death for sin that Jesus died. In Jesus, God sees you as perfectly spotless, blameless, righteous, and pure. He sees you as perfect in his sight. You are fully known. Everything you've ever done, said, or thought, and yet fully loved and approved of and accepted by God, you are delighted in by the most important person in the universe. You are significant. You are connected to greatness because you are his. And this is just incredible news because it means in Jesus, we can be free from the crushing weight of trying to be somebody or have to, having to make something of ourselves. In Jesus, we, we don't have to be somebody. You don't have to make a name for yourself. You don't have to carve out an identity for yourself and define yourself. You can just rest in Jesus who has already been successful for you. This is what's the offer on the table for anybody who will receive it. All you need is need. All you need is to get low and admit that your attempts to save yourself and make a name for yourself aren't working and that you want to be saved by Jesus. And the promise of the gospel is that if you will bring him your sin and you'll bring him your attempts to save yourself, he will take those on himself and in exchange, he will give you his righteousness and he will unite you to himself. He will make you his own. And this is where real freedom is found because when we find our identity in Jesus, now all of a sudden we're freed up to enjoy the things that we were trying to find an identity in before. Because now, when we rest in the identity that Jesus has purchased for us and given to us, man, now a job is just free to be a job, and friends are just free to be friends, and school, and hobbies, and sports, and everything else can just be good gifts from God for us to enjoy Him with, rather than things that have to name us. Like, look right at me. This means that we can actually be free. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to keep working. You can just receive this. And the good news of the gospel is that we could not make our way up to heaven. And so God in Jesus Christ has brought heaven all the way down to us. He has given us his name and his righteousness and his identity. We are his. That's what's most true about you. That's what's most true about your life. And he gets the last and loudest word over your life. Whatever he says about you, it goes. It goes. Let's pray and rest in that good news. Jesus, thank you for this good news that though we constantly attempt to save ourselves, make a name for ourselves, carve out an identity for ourselves, you have given us the opportunity to just rest, to just receive, to stop striving, to stop working, to stop exhausting ourselves, trying to make a name for ourselves and rest in the name and identity you've given us. And so Jesus, in your grace, would you help us, even in this moment, to do that? Would you help us right now, uh, as so many of us, myself included, are tempted to look to all these other things to say, that's what's most important about me, that's what defines me, that's what's going to make me happy. Would you help us in this moment to turn from that and rest in you? 
Would you help us to find our identity in you, Jesus? Would you help us to rest in this and believe that this is really true about us, that this is really most true about us, that above everything else in this world and all the ways we could define ourselves, what's most important about us is that we are yours and you are ours, that you have given yourself to us and for us. And so, Jesus, do that in our hearts in this moment as we respond. I pray you would in your name. Amen.